0: This is Josie Brown with Author Provocateur. In Liza Nash-Taylor's latest historical novel, In All Good Faith, the lives of two women, Mae Marshall and Dorit Sykes, intersect in the Great Depression. The era's economic hardships turn both their lives upside down in heartbreaking ways. How they survive makes it worth revisiting one of the most tumultuous periods of 20th century America. I talk to Liza about her research into bank failures, hobo life, and Hoovervilles. We also discuss how knitting kept her sane through the COVID lockdown, as well as how it inspired a future book. Liza and I also talk about how even now we must keep reinventing ourselves, something her heroines did not just to survive, but to thrive. I just want to tell you how much I enjoyed In All Good Faith. I love the fact that the book takes place during the Great Depression and follows these wonderful women, May and Dorrit. And my biggest question to you was, how did you come up with this plot? That's a
1: great question, Josie. And and thank you for having me. And and thank you. I'm so glad you liked the book. It's so exciting. Today's my pub day. It's so exciting to actually talk to people who read it, um, finally. the way I came up with the plot was um, I my first book came out this time last year called Etiquette for Runaways, and it was set in 1925, and it's a story of May Marshall, um, sort of a coming of age story, and it leaves her in Paris, having really messed up her life, having many things she needs to atone for, many people she needs to apologize to. So I knew I wanted to continue May's story. And so I set out thinking, as I did with the first novel, what's an interesting time to me to write about? And I came up with the Great Depression, which I've I've read a lot of the literature of that time. I've always found it interesting. So I decided that I would bring May back to Virginia, where she grew up, which is in the house where I'm sitting right now, uh, Keswick Farm. Both of the books are set here in this house. And throw her into the depths of the Great Depression. Well, I started out sort of having an idea of what her next chapters would be uh, she's a young mother with two children she has she's conflicted by wanting to be a working woman however this other character kept kind of knocking around in my head and i've never had that happen um, but she wouldn't be quiet she wouldn't go away. And I thought, I'll use you in a story somewhere or or something else. Finally, I gave her a name and I, I kept getting little flashes of who she was. There was something Dickensian about her. She had some sort of a disability. She was young, she was naive. So I named her from a combination of two Dickens characters, Amy Dorrit from Little Dorrit and Bill Sykes from Oliver Twist. So Dorrit Sykes is her name. Once I gave her a name, Wow, she just was fully formed all of a sudden. And she had a story to tell. And I realized that I had been sort of tripping over these Easter eggs of research as I've been going along. And all of a sudden, everything meshed in place, based all around the bonus, the veterans' bonus march. And that was how these two characters, it suddenly it was a dual narrative. And once I realized that there was no going back, so it alternates May's story and Dorrit's story in Boston. And then about halfway through, they meet and their lives intersect in ways that never could have happened uh, if they
0: hadn't met. One of the things that I loved is how many incidents in the book parallel true historic events of the depression, um, such as you've got Dorrit participating in the Bonus expeditionary Force March that they wanted to force President Hoover to release the back pay that was owed these great war soldiers. How challenging was it to insinuate your characters into these events? And um, were there a few events that didn't make the book that you wish had? Well, um, in both of the books, the plots were
1: shaped by historical events I found during my research. The first book, the whole third part that happens in Paris was based on Josephine Baker's debut in Paris in 1925. The Bonus March was something I found fascinating. I wasn't taught about it in history growing up. And I think there's a reason for that, because it is a black mark on American history. Uh, What happened was, uh, in the depths of the Depression, a group of eight veterans left Oregon on foot. They were determined to walk or to ride the rails or to hitchhike across the country to petition Herbert Hoover to meet with them. By the way, today is Herbert Hoover's birthday. Um, what they were trying to get paid was, were their war bonuses. Each soldier had been given a certificate and they were slated to be paid in 1945. However, if the Treasury had paid them, it would have bankrupt the U.S. Treasury. And there was no relief system at that time. And there were thousands of needy people who weren't veterans. So it was it was a tricky situation. Well, in a spectacular publicity bail, Hoover refused to meet with these veterans. Now, as they made their way across the country, they got a lot of press. People were cheering them on joining them. There were a 1,000 by the time they got to Washington. And over the weeks, that number grew to 14,000 veterans who came with their families in tow. We're talking about displaced migrant workers and sharecroppers, people who are unemployed and have nothing to lose. And they camped out along the rivers in Washington DC in uh, army tents, in partially demolished office buildings. And the army tried to feed them. The Salvation Army tried to help out. But the the numbers just, you know, grew and grew. And it was unsanitary, of course. um, And it really got to be out of hand. Well, the bill did not pass. Herbert Hoover still refused to meet with them. And all of these shanty towns that had sprung up around Washington came to be called Hoovervilles. And that term stuck through the Depression and onward. Um, So this original eight, the Bonus Expeditionary Force, were now almost 40,000. And after the bill didn't pass, a lot of them stayed on. And in the end of July, the U.S. Attorney General ordered all of them to leave United States government property. And Hoover sent Douglas MacArthur in with tanks and tear gas and the cavalry to clear the camps in one night. And, um, you know, it was terrible. People lost, who had come with almost nothing, lost everything. So the idea for my story was what would happen if you take a 16 year old girl with anxiety issues and you put her into the thick of this with her father and they get
0: separated and she's on her own. That was uh, heartbreaking to me. You truly gave a colorful picture of hobo life, something that, you know, like you mentioned, Dorit was thrown into and due to a scary incident, I won't say what it is, it becomes her cross to bear. Um, in your research, how did you come across the women's plight during homelessness? That's a, that's a, a good question. I, one of my favorite
1: books is The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. I just listened to it again. And that I think has a lot of woman's perspective, even though the protagonist is a man. Um, and I also just finished reading Kristen Hannah's The Four Winds, which is a story on the West Coast of a woman of, from a farm surviving the worst of the depression. It was hard actually to find accounts of actual women. For instance, the medical research uh, I did you know, women with anxiety issues, there was no treatment. As I did with my first book, I asked my family doctor a list of questions about medical issues I was going to deal with in the book. And he loves to help me with this. And he loaned me a 1934 physician's reference. Wow. Called the, F- the modern home physician illustrated by the aptly named Dr. Wise. Well, I used that as the basis of all of the medical treatment in the book. Um, I won't say what all the things that are treated are, it would be a spoiler, but the category, and then Dorrit finds this book in the Boston Public Library, and it answers a lot of the questions she's had, but it also creates more questions. Um, The category of mental disease has three pages, and I'm gonna read you a, a very brief, excerpt from the book. According to Dr. Wise, heredity, state of bodily health, poverty, bad sanitary conditions, increase incidence of mental disease. Sex is another important factor to mate with a member of the opposite sex is the natural destiny of the sexually mature individual. And the frustration of this design may occasion mental disorder. The incidence of insanity is considerably greater among the unmarried. Insanity is also more common among those who
0: have been widowed. Wow. I mean, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> I mean, you can't make this up, right? <laughs> so this is,
1: this is kind of a, a 16-year-old girl with anxiety issues is finding as, you know, there's kind of nowhere to turn there. And I think women, again, on May's side of the story, as far as a woman's place at that time, in the depths of the Great Depression, institutions like railroads and the United States Post Office were firing all of their female employees to give those jobs to men with families to support. Women of a certain status were looked down on for working. A woman like May, uh, whose husband had a, a nice job, was expected to stay home and take care of her children. Um, so there wasn't a lot really to pull from um, as far as, as the, a way to research what a woman's life was like.
0: Well, I have to tell you, uh, one of the most heartbreaking uh, scenes to me was the auction for Chestnut Grove. And um, it goes back to a question of self-worth, both male and female, And I think it's sort of in her storyline, it's the catalyst for what takes place in the rest of the book with her family. I mean, here you've got her husband Bird's home on the auction block. As he didn't know, his father who committed suicide owed a big part of the house to the bank. And I'm not going to say what happens, but I can say that I felt that it showed the reality of how Men and women view, as you say, their roles in society at that point in time. What role does self-worth play in the novel, especially with the male characters? Well,
1: I think Bird was certainly a product of his era. Uh he grew up in a wealthy home. He never had to worry about being able to go to college or law school and all of a sudden through uh, the, the financial crash, he's lost everything. He's lost his heredity. He's lost his, um, you know, his home place. And I don't write in his point of view, but he is suffering a crisis of identity where all of a sudden he doesn't know that he can really take care of his family and his children, and he's afraid. Um, And yet he, he has to continue to put up this facade of being the provider and keeping everyone safe. So when he's forced to take a job out of town and come back, we see May's side of that. We see what she's dealing with, having a husband out of town and taking care of the two small children and running a business. We don't really see his side of that. But certainly, I imagine he was very conflicted. He missed his children. He missed seeing his daughter walk for the first time. You know, he's doing the best he can. So he doesn't want May to take any business risks.
0: I uh, felt you wrote him very eloquently. I felt his pain and I felt his hurt pride. And that is, you know, you have the conflict of a husband and wife learning how to communicate with each other in times of deep stress and economic chaos. And yes, she did do some things in her ideal of starting a business that I feel she, you know, a normal couple would have talked a lot of things out. In this day and age, we would have been talking it out. <laughs> but I can see why she felt tenuous or she felt anxious to, to bring him into it because already he was feeling a lot of hurt pride. Um, one of the most touching scenes that you have for Dorit is dealing with her loss of faith. I don't wanna give anything away in the plot, but because she loses a loved one, her religion, which happens to be Church of Christ Science, they don't allow medical conditions to be treated by science or by a doctor. Did you have to do a deep dive into um, Church of Christ Science because of the role it played in the book? I felt that it, it was a hard thing to read what happened to her family. Right. Yes. Faith is is a the central theme of the book, obviously.
1: Uh, for Dorrit, it's religious faith, it's faith in herself. And I, I did do a deep dive into Christian science. I went to Boston and I had a tour of the mother church. Uh, they were extremely gracious to me. And afterwards, when I had questioned some scholars from the Mary Baker Eddy library answered all of my questions. Um, Christian science is not Scientology. Some people think that it is, but it isn't. Uh, It was founded by Mary Baker Eddy in 1879. And it's based on, and this is from their website, the intense contemplation of the perfection of God can heal all ills. It also says currently on their website that everyone can choose for themselves and their families, the kind of healthcare that meets their needs. Now, All religions have their zealots, right? And Dorit's mother is a zealot in Christian science. And so she refuses medical care. She doesn't want her children to have medical care. So when Dorit finds this medical text, this physician's reference in the Boston Public Library, a door is open to her. And it makes her question, why have I been praying to get well when that's not the way to get well. And it just, it throws everything on its axis. Um, the Boston Public Library, which is such an incredibly beautiful building, they have an entire gallery of huge murals by John Singer Sargent about religion, about all different sorts of religion. And so the library is Dorrit's place of beauty and solitude and quiet and contemplation and knowledge. So. She finds this book, it leads her to question things. She's hesitant to walk away from it. She does still have belief, but she needs to redefine it. She wants to redefine it. She doesn't wanna completely walk away from it.
0: Your two heroines, um, May and Dort, they're as different as night and day, (laughs) but they have one thing in common and that's a will to survive a world that has gone dark. the Depression was truly one of the most hapless periods in our country's history. And you have a statement that Dora makes. She says, sometimes people do things that they never imagined because things happen that, that no one could expect. And she reaches deep down inside because it's a turn of the story where the two women are finally talking not necessarily as employer employee, but as two women who are surviving something that has devastated their lives and they they want each other to know that they're not the the stoic, hey, I've got it handled calm personalities, that they both kind of come off to each other because of their, you know, one has a very quiet nature and one has a very, you know, can do gumption built into her. Why do you think women became so resilient in that era, whereas a lot of men fell to the wayside? Oh, that's a good question. You know, that's one of
1: the themes that Kristen Nana talks about in The Four Winds is the husband deserting the family because he can't provide and and just shame overtakes him. Um, So the theme of friendship and survival that plays out in the story of May and Dorrit, I think, is very relevant to what we're going through in the summer of 2021. I mean, in the past year and a half, many of us have had to uh, define a pod of close friends to quarantine with. And that doing that with someone implies a deep level of trust and concern. And we've never had to qualify that before. We've worried over sick friends. We've kept each other afloat in ways that we could have never anticipated. And to me, that resonates with what was going on during the depression. Suddenly your next door neighbor who had a lovely house paid off is, is literally living on the street and people would share the little they had. Um, I think it, it's human nature at its most basic and it brings out the feminine instinct, I think, to comfort and mother and provide and quietly lead and quietly
0: smooth things over, you know. What we bring to the table is very important, particularly in times of stress. Um, I do have one more question. What's next for you on the horizon? Oh, uh, well, during quarantine, I started doing some quarantine
1: crafts. And I decided I was gonna use up all of my huge stash of knitting yarn. And I was working on on marketing these books and I started knitting little animals for the children in my life. And before I knew it, I was making up stories about them and taking pictures and posting them on, on Instagram. Well now, Tiny Fox Story on Instagram has 650 some followers and I have a children's book out on submission featuring these little knitted characters and their stories. So that's one thing, and that has been a joy. That has, that got me through quarantine and times when I couldn't write anything new. And, um, and it's just been a whole new thing. The whole miniaturist community is huge. I had no idea. And I am, however, working on a draft of a third novel, which is set in 1952. And this, the main character is May's daughter. Uh, and it's set in Virginia and Paris. And as soon as I finish the marketing for this book, I look forward to buckling down and getting back to work on that.
0: I'm sure I will too, so I can't wait. Thank you. You know, with Dorit, we live through her tragedy in real time, but with May, she has a backstory and her backstory with her own mother is in this book, you know, it's one of its final revelations. Yet both women's lives and who they became kind of revolved around their mother's roles in their lives. Um, I guess you could say the same now, as you, as you said, COVID has kind of put us into this, you know, survival mode. But in those two characters, how do you see the role of nurture, how their mothers nurtured them, versus nature, their own natures, but also what's happening around them during this whole economic collapse. I mean, I'd like you to talk more about what made them so rich for you to write about, but at the same time made us want to keep following their journey to see if they succeeded and how they succeed. That's a, another good
1: question. Uh, well, with May, I had the luxury of, of really having a backstory on her because she's the subject of my first of an entire novel and uh, her backstory with her her mother who abandoned her. So from an early age, May um, grew up with an unreliable father who was a drinker. She was pretty much raised by the woman who, who was the housekeeper and the cook. But she learned to be self-sufficient. And when she couldn't solve a problem, she learned to bluster her way through and not show her feelings. So she has this sort of toughness um, that stays with her and serves her in business and in times where she really has to pull something out. You know, Dorit is really more of a blank slate having been brought up sheltered because of her uh, religion, because of her economic status, because she has always had anxiety attacks, and going out for her requires a set of rituals, um, a sequence of self-calming distractions, Um, and that, for me, that's very personal for me. I wrote that because I've suffered from anxiety issues since I was a teenager, so I was able to pull from that, so a lot of Dorit's, all of Dorit's anxiety is very personal for me, May's sort of wanting more than she has, and her ambition that that she sort of cannot quash—that's part of me too. Um, But I tried to overlay all of that, of course, with what I could find out about the era and the area, um, the setting: Virginia, Boston. Dorrit's whole life has been influenced by her church up until the time she leaves, and when she leaves. She goes to Washington. She and her father sort of leave Christian science behind. He starts drinking coffee all of a sudden, which he wouldn't have done at home. And she sees that, wait a minute, nobody here knows anything about me. I can reinvent myself, you know? And so that's sort of a theme with both of them too.
0: reinvention. I love that because that's what we do in times of crisis and times of stress.
1: Right. And as we age too, you know, um, here may, uh, you know, at 19 wanted to design costumes in Paris and at 26, she wants to start a candy business. So, you know, I think that that's an ongoing theme with, with women. I didn't start writing until I was 53 and my daughter went to, um, went to high school. So we do reinvent ourselves. And I think that that's the greatest thing we can do as women is evolve and not be you know the 53-year-old ex-soccer mom. You know, what kind of a definition of that is is what for someone to accomplish, right? We have to find our next thing.
0: Liza Nash Taylor's All in Good Faith is in bookstores now. This is Josie Brown with Author Provocateur.